This recording probably sounds a little different than my normal sermons. Uh, I had, have been doing a sermon series on the Book of the Twelve, and at the end of my sermon on Haggai, I went to stop my recording only to find that I forgot to start the recording. So I'm sitting in my basement, actually having already finished the series, but wanting for those who have been listening to the whole series to re-record some of my thoughts on Haggai um, so that if you listen to the podcast, to the sermons, you get to hear about all the books. Now, I'm not trying to reproduce the uh, the sermon. Uh, there's something about preaching for me that is... Uh, I would call it performance art, but I don't mean to say that preaching is a performance. I just simply mean there's something that happens when you're led by the Holy Spirit and you're reacting to uh, a particular people in the audience that that gives preaching a quality that I can't reproduce when I'm recording later. Um, so I'm not going to try. I'm just going to talk for a few minutes here about Haggai. Haggai means festal. Uh, as in to uh, to be part of a, a festival. We know nothing really about him. Um, maybe he was born on a festival date, and that's why he is so named. Uh, we know that he was writing in 520 B.C., because in the book he actually gives very specific uh, dates as to when certain prophecies happen, and, and they happen from August through December in our ca- our calendar, uh, Haggai marks a new context for the minor prophets. Um, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all come after uh, Israel is back. Judah is, in particular, back in Israel, but they're really it's just small. They're, they're this little area, this little. Um, little place um, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the area. Uh, this is a time where the book of Ezra takes place uh, as Ezra tries to help Israel rebuild the temple. Nehemiah helps to build the wall. Esther saves the people of Israel. Uh, right in the middle of what used to be Israel uh, is an area now called Samaria. And uh, at this time, Samaria is people who uh, were Jewish and were forced to um, remain and, uh, and live with and marry uh, people from, uh, from other nations that had taken them over. And so they are now a little more of the power in the area. And, and what happens is those uh, Samaritans stop Israel from continuing their work on the temple and on Jerusalem. They feel threatened by that. Uh, They are rejected by the people of Israel, so they reject Israel also. This is really important context, actually, for all the uh, interaction Jesus has with the Samaritan woman or preaching the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, because this is all a real struggle between these these half-Jewish people that are that are um, not allowing Israel to finish building the temple. And it's been years now. It's been years since they've come back. And uh, they're struggling. There's been droughts. There's been plagues. 
they've been through so much. The temple has never been finished. And it seems like their hope is finally dwindling. Haggai comes along, and uh, the book starts this way. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your full, your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So the people are saying the time has not yet come for us to rebuild the house of the Lord. Uh, they're still rebuilding their houses and they're, they don't have a lot of hope. They don't have a lot of future. Now, sometimes it, it seems here that, that some of them are living in fancy, more paneled houses while God's house still lies in ruins. But they say, no, 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 it's not time yet for us to do that work. And Haggai says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And and the the phrase there means to set your heart on it. Not just think about it, but consider it emotionally. What does your heart tell you? What's your gut saying? You sow a lot, but you harvest a little. You eat, but it's never enough. You're always thirsty. You clothe yourself, but you're always cold. You ever done that? You, You get sick, and no matter how many articles of clothing you put on or how many blankets somebody puts on you, you just you just can't get warm. You earn wages, but they go into a bag with holes. How many times have we felt like our bank accounts are full of holes and we we look and we wonder where did our paycheck go? It's a very strong description of a people who are worn out, who are hopeless and who are beat up, who are trying as hard as they can, but just not doesn't seem to come for them. It doesn't doesn't get better for them. He continues in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The Lord says, you look for much, but what did it come to? Very little. You brought your money and your stuff home, but it blew away. The problem for Israel is security. They're trying to have a life where they can feel safe and secure. But they're trying to find it in their house, in their stuff, in the lives they build, and it blows away. We don't like the feeling, but we've all had the moment where we feel hopeless, where someone's sick, 
where a friend is dying, where a child is in pain. And it doesn't matter what we do, all the money in the world, still we can't fix it. Why has this happened to Israel? Because God's house lies in ruins. And at first it sounds like God is just bitter, like he just wants his house. But that's not really it. It's not just God wanting a house, it's that the people have tried to build their lives on their own. They did it themselves. And the heavens withheld dew from the ground, and the, the ground withheld produce. Sometimes God keeps his people from flourishing if they're going to rely on themselves and not him. It's what Israel does. It's what we do. We say, God, why aren't you blessing my efforts and what I'm trying to do? But God says to us, because you are supposed to be blessing my efforts and what I am trying to do. God is not the blesser of your plans. God calls you to follow him. When we try to demand that God give us what we want, we are playing the part of God. Except God doesn't demand. God sometimes just lets us flounder in our pitiful attempts to find security outside of himself. And sometimes, like a good father, he steps in, try to stop his kids from getting hurt. But sometimes, as a father, and I, I have to do this sometimes, sometimes they got to learn for themselves. Not a lot of people in Israel at this time that remember the temple. The Haggai goes on to really try to describe to them what it was like in chapter 2, um, starting in verse 3. It says, Who is left among you who saw the, his house, this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. It's easy for us to get overwhelmed with the things we have to do in our lives, with the great things that God calls for us to do. Sometimes we get stuck because we can't feel like we can't get ahead and we can't move on. And we get afraid. Well, we shouldn't be afraid because God is with us. God is um, calling us to be strong, to keep going, to keep working. It's pretty, pretty crazy to think about what God often calls us to do in our lives. And we do get afraid. But we're not alone. The text goes on to talk about how God is going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and the nations like a dusty rug that everything falls off. He's going to shake the world, and Israel's going to be blessed. This kind of leads to some conflict, I think, for the way we tend to think about things and the way the other minor prophets have thought about things. First of all, we, we've kind of got this idea in the other minor prophets that wealth is a bad thing. It's not good to have what we want. The Christians are supposed to have some kind of vow of poverty. Or at least we pretend that we don't have nice things. The business is bad. Think about how many movies where uh, businesses are the bad guys. Uh, in the original Manchurian Candidate, uh, the 
The bad guys were the Soviets and the Cubans, the communists, that wanted to create the Manchurian candidate. Uh, when it was remade a few years ago with Denzel Washington, it was business. It was business. Uh, when did we make business the bad guy? Here's a text that says that God wants to pour out blessing. And, and I'm not sure that that means God wants every Christian to be rich, but I'm not sure that means every Christian has to be poor. Sometimes we create wealth, but but for a Christian, it's important to know how we create wealth. We don't create wealth out of... Um, uh, out of spite, out of jealousy, that we don't create wealth at the expense of others, and what we do with that wealth is important. Also, in the prophets, there's a lot of talk earlier on about how bad the temple is, uh, about how the the Lord hates, the Lord despises the feasts that go on there. But here's God wanting to rebuild the temple. That the place is important. That there's value in having a place of worship where people can come. We've got to have balance. Balance to understand that things aren't everything, but they're also not nothing. That buildings like churches are not everything, but they're not nothing either. Buildings are okay. Wealth Wealth is okay. Having what you want is okay. The problem is when we find our security in those other things, when they take away from our relationship with God instead of add to them, when they put God on the back burner instead of drawing us closer to God. Jesus didn't die to save buildings. He didn't die to give you wealth and security. He died to give you eternal security, something that the world can't take away from you. If you live in that security, some of these other things can stay in good perspective for you. Blessings. I hope that uh, this was helpful, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.